It is Friday, October 4th, and welcome to the special bonus episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. Yes, that's correct. This is not your typical weekly episode, so if you're thinking, wait a minute, this is Friday. Shows normally come out on Thursday. What's going on? That's because I'm currently here in Dothan, Alabama for Fanaticon. And today I got to do my first interview for the convention with WWE Hall of Famer and current AEW broadcaster, Jim Ross. And this was a really cool interview for me personally because those who know me personally know that I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. I've been watching since the late 90s, still watch it currently. That time frame from 1998 to the early 2000s, I can remember almost every week my aunt and uncle and other friends would come over and we would have watch parties. And we would flip between Monday Night Raw and Monday Nitro. We'd watch all the pay-per-views all as a family. So wrestling has some really cool, you know, it resonates really well with me because of the memories that I hold because of it. So getting to talk with the guy who was the voice for a lot of that was uh, kind of a surreal thing for me. And I thank him for taking the time to do this interview. It was great getting to hear about how he got started in wrestling, what made him initially want to become a broadcaster, and why he still does it with AEW. And they just had their first live weekly television broadcast this past week. So it was really cool. Hopefully you guys enjoy hearing it. And if you're in the Dothan area, you can get tickets for Fanaticon at the Dothan Civic Center on Saturday and Sunday. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Hall of Fame wrestling broadcaster Jim Ross. Welcome back to the special episode of the Derek Diamond Experience as part of my coverage of Fanaticon. It is my honor to welcome Wrestling Hall of Fame broadcaster, good old JR, Jim Ross. How are you today? I'm good. I'm loving the Derek Diamond experience, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so I wanted to get started. You're just coming off AEW's first television broadcast, AEW Dynamite from this past Wednesday. Um, how did it go? Because watching it on TV, it looked like the atmosphere was fantastic. I thought it was a great team win, quite frankly. Uh, a lot of moving parts in a, in a production that large. I thought the, uh, but the production values, the, the graphics, the lighting, uh, all those things were really good. And uh, we've got an ex in some areas of our company, we have experienced guys that have kind of been to the dance. But in so many other roles, we have no experience. They ain't danced yet. So this is their first, a lot of guys' first dance. And doing live TV with no net, no retakes, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an adventure. So uh, I thought we had a good team win and, and a lot of work to do. We can sure get better. But I, I was really happy with everybody's uh, effort, especially the effort. kind of starts there with the effort. Yeah, and it was great to see after, you know, all the buildup with, you know, All In, All Out, Double or Nothing, all the other shows that have happened that all led to that premiere episode. I, I really enjoyed it, and as someone who grew up watching wrestling in the 90s, it really brought that kind of excitement back to have, you know, a different alternative. Mm, yeah, I, we live in a society where people want choices. They want to exercise their freedom of choice. I don't want this burger. I want that burger or, you know, whatever it may be. I, that's why we see so, the proliferation of so many ads, whether it be for cars or beer or whatever it might be, 
they're, they seemingly are endless, that pipeline. So uh, that's kind of my thought on that. I think that, uh, you know, we want choices. And all we have done, or we're going to try to do in AEW, is to provide a different choice. We know that we want our product to be more athletically oriented, and that's a process. That's a doesn't happen today. Mm-hmm. It, it ain't, it's not going to happen. It may not happen this this year, but at some point in time, we have to keep making positive steps uh, to accomplish the goal of being uh, athletic, ha- utilizing plausible scenarios in the ring, so that you forget that it's a dramatic presentation or a comedic presentation, which I disdain. Comedy and wrestling. It's great if it's organic and it's real. But if you're trying to get a wrestler to have comedic timing, he comes off more like a 10th grade drama student. It's somewhat disheartening sometimes. It takes the edge off. So uh, but I, I like what we, we our first step uh, out of the gate. And we've got young talents that got to get better, that get smarter. Uh, they got to learn every aspect of, the, of their job. And, you know, when you got 22, 23-year-old kids that, are used to making nothing and wrestling is before a couple hundred people. This whole new world, man, it challenges their uh, conf- their confidence, uh, their self confidence. I, I think I should say. So it's a it's hard. It's a it's hard to get there, but we got some guys that are, and so that helps our little our young nucleus. We're like an expansion team in football. That's why I look at our our scenario. We got some veterans that have played and played in big games and had success. But we also got a lot of guys who are on their first team on a, on a global basis. And I think uh, you brought up a great point, having that nice mix of veterans like a Chris Jericho who have you know, wrestled for many years and know what it's yeah. like to be the face of a company and have traveled the world. I can imagine his experience backstage is probably invaluable. Yeah, uh, young guys, listen to him because here's a guy that's under six feet tall, that started out as a high flyer that changed this game over time to what we see today. And, uh, it, what he does today still resonates with, uh, the, the, with the fan base. He stayed current with them. And that's also done through his music and the, the media that he does. And he stays connected. Mm-hmm. Jericho's a lot like stone cold in the sense that Austin discovered who his, uh, audience was. And then most importantly, he discovered where he could find them. And once you can locate your target demographic and you know how to find them, you become a great marketer because now you're giving that sales message to a, to a group of uh, motivated potential buyers. And I think that's what well, all marketers look for. And the same thing that we're looking for now, where is our audience? And the TV ratings said that they were pretty young. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we were happy with the rating, but you know, I was, t- I was telling my colleagues, but once you get the rating, you're like f- five and a half days from doing it again. There's no time to celebrate. It's a grind. Ever, yeah. And it never ends because we're not going to, we're not going to have reruns. Uh, we're, we're, we don't have an off season. It's every single, and for me, I, I'm, I'm on the road beginning every Tuesday and I get home if I'm lucky on Thursdays. If I go to another city after uh, uh, after Dynamite, then to do media for an upcoming event, then I don't get home until Friday. So uh, it's not a, a cakewalk 
it's we do a lot of work behind the scenes that we're doing and but we have to mm-hmm. it's all hands on deck right now we need all the players that can play to get put their uniform on let's go to work absolutely so you've been a wrestling commentator for many many years what was it about aew that drew you specifically to say hi i want to be part of this company well uh Tony Khan's money had a little to do with it, to be honest with you. It wasn't some ordained, I heard an epiphany that said, AEW, AEW. I was calling me home, some religious experience. Uh, Tony made, uh, was very easy, aggressive, but succinct in the negotiation. And we came to terms quickly, and it was good. And I'm very, uh, but his, Tony's passion, more seriously, Tony's passion and his knowledge of the game is uh, pretty uh, amazing. He, uh, for a kid, he's a kid to me, that young, to have that sort of knowledge and worldliness in a street smart way is uh, pretty fantastic. So I, I, I enjoy working with him. Uh, there's no one, we don't have, we haven't been around long enough to develop who's on this side of the aisle and who's on that side of the aisle. So politics, albeit will always be prevalent in any entity like this, uh, we haven't developed all the, the, the uh, party alignments yet. So there's not a lot of politics, which is wonderful. There's no need for it. Right. So uh, I like that aspect. So but that's what happens when you're, when you're the, the founder and the owner is so young and accessible. Yeah, it's awesome. So uh, I think the enthusiasm, and it's good for me at my stage of my life to be around younger guys. It's infectious. You know, I enjoy their enthusiasm and they enjoy my quote unquote wisdom, if that's even applicable. But I think there's some wisdom there. Hope so. Uh, And I like mentoring. I like playing it forward. You know, Tony Schiavone and myself hope that when we're, when our journey, journey is over, that Excalibur would be a better announcer. Mm-hmm. And then, then somewhere down the road, he can play it forward to somebody else that sits next to him. So that's kind of how I look at this whole process. You know, you got to play it forward and, and uh, contribute something back. Because the business has been great to me. You know, average kid, you know, was the guy. And somehow or another it clicked, and, and I, was, I found my passion. And, a lot, and I, I'm sad about that in some ways because I know that there are some people that never find their calling and they're always frustrated. Mm-hmm. So it's really the peace of mind you get when you find your identity as a professional, whatever you're going to do is wonderful because now I know I'm in the, I'm in the right game, the right place, the right time. I could go do this. So it's, I got lucky in, in a bizarre world of wrestling. My dad told us friends this one time that my boy, uh, uh, ran off to join the circus and he never came home. <laughs> <laughs> Well, kind of going off of that, what was it that initially sparked your interest in, one, pro wrestling in general, and two, wanting to be a commentator? Well, I, uh, those, are, those answers are folded together, quite frankly. I was an only child, and uh, one of my babysitters was, was a transistor radio. Uh, and so I would listen to the radio during, like in the summertime, during baseball season. 
and KMOX was the big station out of St. Louis, and they had Jack Buck and Harry Carey as their broadcast team. And they were pretty incredible. Hall of Fame guys, obviously. Oh, yeah. So uh, they were my storytellers. They were narrating. And I could see how blue the sky was in St. Louis. I could see how red those caps were that the, that the Cardinals were wearing. I could see Stan Musial's number six uh, uh, standing in the batter's box because the uh, theater of the mind was at play. And that's all radio and audio is, is theater of the mind. Yep. So uh, – uh, that was that was the uh, the announcer thing was it, I was just fascinated by them, and then I started listening to Ray Scott, and later in my life after I suffered three bouts of Bell's palsy, the facial paralysis here, uh, Ray Scott was a Bell's palsy survivor, uh, and he was so I was kind of I was drawn to him before that, but his his tones he was always under control. When he needed to step on the gas, he had it. But it was a distinct difference than uh, uh, his normal pace. Mm-hmm. And all that era of storytellers, uh, you know, Keith Jackson and Chris Schenkel and Kurt Gowdy and, you know, Mel Allen, Lindsey Nelson. I mean, like Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame guys. And they were on my TV uh, in – in uh, ample quantity, and remember in, the, in that era when I was a kid, there were three there were three TV stations to watch, the three network affiliates, no Fox, no in, Independence. So that was uh, they were they were getting a lot of exposure. They got over, as they say in wrestling parlance, and in my mind's eye, that's kind of what I wanted to do. Uh, I love the the games. I love sports. I I collected cards as a little kid, baseball and football cards. I read and just, I just read vociferously, because again, I'm a single, single child, and mom and dad didn't have the money to, for me to be have, have a babysitter. I lived out on the farm. I had chores to do while they were at work, and I come home. Dad would check off his little list, his mental list of, did you do this? And I, okay, good, good. And if I did those things. And I, the checks are all done appropriately and in a timely basis. So, in other words, I kept my commitment. My dad would allow me to watch one hour of pro wrestling a week, which is all was on, one hour in our territory. And on Saturday afternoon, I, was in, I got this great bonus because I had done all my stuff all week. Uh, it was like an allowance, but we didn't have any money, so that, that was kind of the trade-off there, which I was right. happy for, right? Oh, of course. And it was packaged with roller derby. So I got an hour of pro wrestling and an hour of roller derby. So that was kind of my taste. My, my it's where my boundaries of my social etiquette lied in pro wrestling and, and roller derby. But I was just as happy as hell that I got to. I earned the right to watch these two shows. There's a lesson learned there somewhere along the way. Oh, for sure. Okay, so you're you watch wrestling. You're a huge fan. You love the storytelling of broadcasters. How do you get into the wrestling business, or how did you get into the wrestling well, business? Well, my fraternity uh, ran afoul of the uh, university, Northeastern State University in Tahlequah. Uh, we were in NAIA school at that time. And uh, on the intramural football field, our fraternity, Phi Lambda Chi, uh, had no equal or no fear. We were, had a lot of rogues, and, and, but nonetheless, we got into a skirmish with, I think it was Alpha Phi Alpha, the African-American fraternity. 
in the finals of the what they call the toilet bowl. Big deal now. <laughs> so I'm playing in the toilet bowl, and everything's out. I was I was a snapper. I was a, you know, uh, in high school I had a little success as a as a center. And so I I could snap the I could these short shotgun length snaps right right it was easy. Now everybody does it automatically. Every kid grows up being a center knows how to do that. And it used to be an art form, a skill set. Mm -hmm. Now it's part of the part of your normal drills. Uh, so we got into a fight and got an embarrassing university because it had all these racial overtones uh, and it was not good. But it was just young guys full of testosterone getting a little too headstrong and whatever. So we all had to do things to uh, resurrect our image. So the president of our fraternity and myself came up with the idea to do a pro wrestling event. Because if, if anything speaks to, to upgrading your image, it's pro wrestling. <laughs> so we, we uh, on all the local shows that advertise to little dealers, you want to sponsor championship wrestling in your hometown uh, as a fundraiser for, you know, for your organization, call this number. We call the number. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and came up with a deal with Leroy McGurk, the old promoter there, and Cowboy Bill Watts, who was his business partner. So we had a we had a live event in our gym, and I was in charge of promoting it, publicity, all that stuff, right? Well, it did well. It sold out. Danny Hodge is on top. He was a big hero. Then we had another one about six months later, or maybe eight, and that was headlined. And Watts booked himself on that one, and it sold out. So then he told me, he said, you know, kid, you've got a pretty good aptitude for this thing, it seems like. Uh, when you, you're ready for to get in the real world out here, I got a job for you. That's all he said. And so I, I had his card and his number and all that, and I stayed in contact with him. and And I uh, went to work for Bill at 150 dollars a week, all in, no withholdings, no expense money, no insurance, uh, and did a variety of things. I drove the ring truck. I put the ring up. I was a referee. I was a ring announcer. I was an errand boy, um, so I paid my dues. But I got to learn a lot of skill sets, which I think qualifies me to help a lot of different people in AEW, whether it be a referee or a talent, a, a broadcaster or a, a promoter. I can help some. So uh, I, I was really, really great time. So that's how we got into it, and and. Uh, but I, it's the first run of it starved me out. I couldn't have a family and one hundred fifty dollars a week, you know. So, uh, but I didn't lose my love for it. It's, I said in my our second my second book comes out in uh, March of twenty twenty, and around WrestleMania time, ironically, and uh, uh, I said in the book something about you know uh, quitting's the easiest thing in the world to get good at. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, I just sometimes the wrestling business is the wrestling business has always been my mistress, but she hasn't always loved me. I've always loved her. There have been there were interludes where we had to have a timeout or two, and some of that was my own fault because I was hard to manage, uh, and some of it was not. But nonetheless, no matter who gets the blame or the credit, whatever. It was still part of the journey. 
So I, Dusty Rhodes told me this one time, and his wife told him this. If you turn your jersey in, you, you can't be on the team anymore. So I never actually turned my jersey in because uh, I wanted that, that badly to play on the team and be in the business. And, uh, you know, I worked twice in 2018. made a lot of money. I only worked twice. I went to Saudi Arabia and I went to New York City uh, for WWE functions. And that's it. I was bored. I didn't feel like I was earning my keep. And so I uh, uh, decided when my contract expired, after talking with Vince, that I just would not, re would not renegotiate. That's when you start the process. I'm not interested in staying. I'm not mad either, by the way. I was there 26 years. It, Vince McMahon solidified my financial future. You can't be too thankful for that. That's pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he, he helped solidify my grandchildren's education and get help them live their life. This is a bit, this is big stuff for me in my, in my world. Again, I was raised in a four room converted dairy barn that where we didn't have an indoor toilet until the fourth, my fourth grade. And I used to wonder why these kids never wanted to come to my house for a sleepover. Then I figured it out. Elders, they don't go outside and pee. <laughs> Much less uh, anything else that's on their mind. So uh, one of my buddies did that. We had an outhouse. He goes to the outhouse to take care of his business. Nonchalantly, he looks around, and there's a big-ass copperhead snake curled in the corner. Oh, my God. Of the, of the, of the crapper. And uh, he bolted out the door because everybody was wait, waiting their turn, I guess. Anyway, we were all standing outside. He bolted out the door with his pants around his ankles. <laughs> this, you know, just uh, freaking out, which I would have too. Yeah. And so that's the, in, in any event, living on the farm, you never know what happens on the farm. So, uh, but I, I enjoyed my upbringing and I enjoyed the, the opportunities I got. But that's the, the wrestling business gave me a platform to be good at something. And we all got to find something we can be good at, whether it's a spouse. Uh, personal personal relationship, your job, your church, your family. Find something you can be good at so you can build on that. And then other good things come along with it, you know. So uh, that was how I looked at those deals. I, but I love the promotion and, and the, the business intrigued me. It's basic good versus evil. He's in, it's just using simple logic and human nature to create your storylines and your issues. It's like writing a little uh, dramatic soap opera that mm -hmm. airs every week, and the actors do their own stunts. Yeah. And uh, so when somebody says in a general term, is pro wrestling fake? I emphatically say, no, it's not fake. Because I don't know what the definition of your definition of fake is. My definition of fake means that nobody ever gets hurt. It's simulated violence. It's all these things. And I know... And we, anybody that's followed it knows that there's a lot of injuries. Mm -hmm. And some are just heartbreaking. Yep. And so there are issues that happen. And it isn't pillow fighting. So uh, that kind of frustrates me to know how those guys, how hard they work. And how, then when you see them when they're 45 and their bodies are broken to hell, they ain't going to get better. They're, they're screwed. But still, they got to put up the same old deal. Well, that stuff you did was fake, though. Right? How did you get hurt? Which is the physicality, the travel, and everything. Yeah. It, it all it all adds up. Think of that once or twice a year you get on an airplane. 
and how, how big a pain in the butt it is. Mm-hmm. Think about these guys and gals that do it multiple times a week, every week. Well, even the long drives from, you know, three plus hour drives can feel taxing on you. Oh, yeah. Travel is not any of our friends in respect of working, work travel. Vacation travel is a different ballgame, different mindset. But boy, uh, you know, flying, I know I'm going to be on an airplane. I got on an airplane uh, on Tuesday, and I flew to Washington, D.C. from Oklahoma City. Luckily, I got a nonstop, which, is, which shocked me. And then I flew from uh, D.C. after our first uh, show to Atlanta, then Atlanta to Dothan. Sunday, I'm going to fly from Dothan to Atlanta, Atlanta to Oklahoma City. I'm going to be home one day. And on Tuesday morning at 5 o'clock, I'm going to fly to Boston. And I'm going to do a uh, – or get there earlier, earlier. And then there's production being Tuesday night. The show's on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, I'm flying to Pittsburgh to do media for an upcoming Pittsburgh show. And then on Friday afternoon, I'm flying to Dallas – from Pittsburgh to go to the Oklahoma-Texas game at the Cotton Bowl. And I'm finally going to get home Saturday evening, only to gear up and go again on Tuesday. That's our life right now. It's a grind. And I'm not so sure how some of these young cats are going to respond to that. I'm used to it. I get it. I've done it. And I don't have the magic formula. I don't have the secret quotient or potion that makes it cool. It's a pain in the ass. TSA, do that's the best job they can, but some of those people are incompetent. Uh, and you never know about weather, mechanicals, you know, crying babies, you know, bad yeah. odors. It's just, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a tube of germs. That's <laughs> what it is. Yeah. So, but that's what we do. Yeah. And it's like Tony Soprano told his cousin, Tony, this is the life we chose. So, mm-hmm. and that's what the life we chose is this, and I, I wouldn't trade it for nothing. Fantastic. Well, a couple more questions as we start to wrap up here. You mentioned the Oklahoma-Texas game. I know you're a huge football fan. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen, Oklahoma-Texas? Well, uh, Texas has is, is got a really good team. They've got a great quarterback. So I, I know they're going to be hard to beat. It'll be, as usually, very – it's like the Iron Bowl. It's a physical – don't matter what the records are, uh, scenario. There's strong comp- competitive energies at play. I hope my team wins. The Sooners win, but you know this happened last year. They beat us in the regular season last year. They beat in Texas, and uh, then we avenged that loss in the Big Twelve title game. The end of the day, who are, the, the only thing that really matters is not in two weeks. It's what happens on uh, the the first Saturday in December. And who wins that game? Because the winner of the Big 12 will more than likely get a uh, uh, playoff spot. Playoff spot, a, a four, final four playoff spot. So, uh, but it will be a good game. It's always physical. It's always intense. That's what makes it so much fun. And uh, I had six tickets for that game, and I'm a very proud donor, season ticket holders. It's just uh, I've been going since I went to my first one in 1971. I've missed a few. But I've made more than I missed, too, by the way. I just look at it as one of the great American rivalries, the sports. 
It's, it's, it's held on the grounds of the uh, Texas State Fair. You can smell the corn dogs. You can see the Ferris wheel going around and around. It's just Americana in that yeah. respect. So uh, and any sports fan that hasn't been to an Oklahoma-Texas game, and of course, down in Texas, they call it the Texas-Oklahoma game. Mm-hmm. I've never, I was not raised that way. Uh, you should check it out as a sports fan, as an event to see. Because yeah. the stadium, you know, is the 50-yard line is the, the line of demarcation. So from the 50 all back around the other 50, that's all burgundy or crimson, rather. Then from the then it picks up all the way this way, half the stadium's burnt orange. So it's the most one of the more unique little setups. And my seats are right in the in the section that separates the two uh, fan bases. So it's very loud, yeah, and very uh, enthusiastic, shall we say. And, and it's so bad that if you're a foreign person from out of our country that wasn't aware of these customs, you'd think these Americans are absolutely crazy. Because I think they actually go insane for temporarily insane uh, during the length of that ball game. Too much beer. Yep. And it's, even though this kickoffs at 11, 11 o'clock in the morning central, local times at 11 a.m., that's done for security reasons because it's not the greatest part of town, the old Cotton Bowl, mm-hmm. and unfortunately. And uh, it's not as grandiose. You know, they'll have the title game at Jerry Jones Cowboy Stadium, AT&T Stadium. So uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. The game will be good. You never know who's going to, how it's going to win. I, I don't get – knowing that we we may have a chance if we can – the loser of that game is not out of the picture, no matter if it's, if it's OU or Texas. So, But I don't think the kids look at it that way. They want to knock, they want to knock everybody out, beat everybody up, and so there's no questions asked. There's no fluke stuff. So we'll see. It's just a – it's a cool rivalry. I've been on the sideline of that game for the last – well, Coach Stoops was there 20 years, 19, I think. And I, was, I don't think I missed a, a Texas game that he coached because he always had me down on the sideline with his group. So mm-hmm. I always liked that. And Lincoln, Coach Riley the same way. So I've been uh, fortunate to have some uh, – I know people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question. Do you want to plug your uh, social media website so the listeners can follow you? Yeah, we're gonna, we're getting ready to do a new website. Uh, by the way, uh, I'm working on getting my uh, products, our barbecue sauce and our, uh, our two barbecue sauces, chipotle ketchup, jalapeno honey mushrooms, delicious. Which is quite good, by the way. Well, good, thank you. And we're gonna have that uh, here in in uh, uh, Dothan this oh, this cool. weekend. Very so cool. So we have our table will have uh, uh, pitchers and 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 condiments, uh, sign sign and swag and all that good stuff. I brought some new pitchers. Uh, I enjoy meeting the fans. Everybody's got a, they got more stories about me than I have about me, and I think it's kind of cool because sometimes what the, the trifecta is when you get a, a son, his father, and the grandfather, and they're all fans, and they all can tell you a Jr. story. So I don't. I used to it used to bother me because it, I had to face my own mortality, but I, I got the realization that we it's the way it is, man. Yeah, it's the way it is. So I'm lucky I've had these many years. I'm 67. I still feel great. You know, I had fun on Wednesday night. Uh, I'm on Twitter at JRSBBQ, at JRSBBQ, on Facebook and Instagram. I handle the tweet, the, tw- the Twitter account, and I have someone that helps me with Facebook and the and the Instagram. So, uh, but if you see something on Twitter I said that you don't like, it's my fault. 
<laughs> I can't pass the buck. That's my deal. So there's that, and and we'll be promoting a new website uh, soon. Uh, we're going to try to be able to take orders on our own website and and fulfill orders on on with online sales. That's a plan we're working on right now. So a lot of a lot of fun things. I'm working. My second book is going to be uh, second part of the autobiography series. Is going to be out uh, in March, as I mentioned earlier. It's called Under the Black Hat. It when it launched, it was the number one pre-order book on Amazon. So it really got it got hot, and people are interested in seeing the sequel to Slobberknocker. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Slobberknocker, another nice marketing segue. We have Slobberknocker books here uh, in Dothan that I will personalize and sign and all that. The hardcover, the good ones. So uh, uh, if you hadn't read my book, you might want to check it out. The thing about it, there's some this thing is going to have so many different facets to it mm-hmm. uh, that uh, on Saturday and Sunday for us that there's a lot of things you you can see and you would enjoy. So I enjoy these these because it brings out a very eclectic group of people, uh, like-minded that have very few. Most of them have very few uh, uh, inhibitions, uh, and their life's kind of it's out there. And I kind of dig that as far as uh, being comfortable in your own skin and not living for somebody else but living for yourself. And you'll see a lot of people that are that way here this weekend. And they'll have smiles on their faces. They'll be enjoying themselves. And sometimes we all just need to go someplace so we can enjoy others. I think that's what we have here this weekend in Dothan. I would completely agree 100%. And by the way, tickets are available at the door. Yes. So I hadn't mentioned it. It's a simple proposition. Tickets bed with the door, and uh, we'd love to see you guys. And if you come out, uh, come by my table, our table, and, and say hello. We'd, we'd love to see a hello to you and shake your hand and so forth. So it'd be good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this sure. interview. It was fantastic. I love the uh, diamond experience, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> My thanks again to Jim Ross for taking the time to do this awesome interview. Be sure to follow him on social media at JRSBBQ to find out what he'll be up to next. And I also want to give a special thank you to Phil Chalker, who helped set up this interview. He's the head of Fanaticon. I know he's been working really hard to make Fanaticon the best it can be. So, Phil, once again, thank you so much. And as far as the rest of my Fanaticon coverage, it's more than likely going to be compiled into one episode that I'll be releasing this upcoming Thursday. So if you want to automatically have that downloaded to your smart device, cell phone, iPad, all that fun stuff, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can also follow me on all forms of social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And in closing, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night Drive Through and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which is available on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this special bonus episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. If you're at Fanaticon, hopefully you enjoyed that as well. Thank you for listening to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. <laughs>